Hey, so if you are uh, new with us or if you're visiting, we are in the book of Jonah for a series right now that I'm calling The Anti-Hero. We're going to be looking at episode three of this mini-series that I'm calling it. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if it were on Netflix or on TV somehow, it'd be very episodic. And each episode would kind of leave you on a cliffhanger wanting to know what comes next. So today we're in episode three, which is Jonah chapter two, if you're following along in your Bibles or on your Bible apps. If you're in the version Bible app, you can find our event there with all the sermon notes. So previously, just a quick recap, last couple weeks, here's what's happened previously on The Antihero. We saw in Jonah, right off the bat, Jonah chapter one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. But Jonah noped right out of there, went down to Joppa and boarded a boat, went down into the boat, headed for Tarshish, which we're not exactly sure where that is, but the best guess we have is it's along the coast of Spain somewhere. This is basically the farthest reaches of the known world in Jonah's day. Yeah, I'm going to go complete opposite direction of where God has called me to. And yeah, how'd that work out for you? Not great. The Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. And they were scrambling. They were terrified. These, these professional sailors were terrified of what's happening. They knew there was something else going on. This wasn't just a natural, ordinary storm on the Mediterranean. This is something beyond what we've experienced before. And so Jonah was down in the very bottom of the vessel, fast asleep, not caring if they live or die. But the sea captain went up and shook him awake. Hey, cry out to your God. Let's figure out what's going on. Maybe something will happen. And they're throwing the cargo overboard. They're panicking. They're trying to save everybody's lives. Um, and they even cast lots, like a roll of the dice, drawing straws, however it happened. And the lot fell to Jonah. They were trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah, Jonah's the guy. So they said, tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What's your business? Where are you from? What's your country? What people are you from? Why is this happening to us? It's obviously your fault, Jonah. And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? And I kind of fill in the rest of that sentence with what we're all thinking. What have you done, you moron? Running from the God who created the sea on the sea? Are you kidding me? And so they're like, what, what, what do we need to do? He says, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And they cried out to God, to Jonah's God, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, saying, please don't hold this man's life against us. We're just doing what he told us to do. We're sorry. And so they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging instantly. That's the idea, that instantly, the moment Jonah went just down into the water, sploosh, calm. And they were even more terrified. They were even more terrified of what was happening. And they worshiped God. They made sacrifices. They made vows to, 
to Jonah's God because of all this. But chapter 1 leaves us with this cliffhanger. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So that's the recap. That's the story so far. Now, if you grew up thinking that the story of Jonah was all about a fish, I have news for you. You're wrong. All right? The fish episode happens right here in the middle of the story, but the fish is not the biggest part of the story. The fish itself is only mentioned, I think, three times. Um, and you know, growing up, it was, all, it was drilled into me like, it wasn't a whale, it was a fish. I'm like, okay, come on. You can call it a whale if you want to. I don't care. Um, large sea creature. What do we know those as? Whales. Okay, move on. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and that's where we're left. Utterly terrifying. Now, I'm not afraid of much, but when I see videos of, like, deep-sea divers going, you know, hundreds of meters below the ocean surface to explore, and you've got these gigantic fish and, like, squids and all these just enormous, terrifying creatures around them, that freaks me out. No, that is not me. Absolutely not. 100% no. I'm I'm good. And Josh is like, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. He's scuba certified, so more power to you. But when I see stuff like that, it, oh my gosh, it freaks me out. So I can imagine Jonah's terror, right? Maybe for the first time in the entire story, he's actually frightened. Maybe he's actually realizing, hey, I could die here in this watery grave. And then suddenly, as he's sinking to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, which is very deep, here comes this gigantic, gaping mouth right at you. (laughs) Like, how much worse could it get, right? And it says it swallowed him. And I don't know all the answers. I can't explain to you how a man could survive in the belly of a whale or a fish for three days and three nights. That's not the point of the story, okay? That's not the point. Don't come at me with those questions, because I don't know. That's not the point. The point is for us to put ourselves in Jonah's scenario. And I want to challenge you to ask, what would you do? If this was you, what would you do? Now, not too long ago, there actually was a story about a guy who did get swallowed by a humpback whale (laughs) and then spit up. But that wasn't for three days. That was just like moments. But again, utterly terrifying. What would you do? You find yourself in pitch black, in the heat and the pressure, in the deepest parts of the sea, not knowing whether you're going to live or die. It's kind of like a Schrodinger's cat scenario. Is it alive or is it dead? Jonah's kind of in this limbo, in this in-between state of being really alive and being dead. What would you do? I think he does what most of us do. He prays. There's a saying, and I tried to track down the origin. Nobody really knows where it originated. But there's a, story, there's a saying called, there are no atheists in foxholes or in the trenches or in a crashing airplane. Like, there are no atheists. Everybody's going to be crying out to something, some kind of higher power for, to save them when there's no way out. There are no atheists in foxholes. 
The author Tim Keller says this in his book, The Prodigal Prophet. He says, it's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all of your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you're finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. Sometimes when everything's going great in our lives, we forget how much we really depend on God. Sometimes it takes us hitting rock bottom and finding out, oh, this actually isn't the lowest I could go. There's a whole other sublevel. You could even go farther down than that. Whatever it is, it takes, sometimes it takes your entire world being rocked for you to realize how much you depend on God. I know that's been the case for me. It probably has for you. And that definitely is the case for Jonah. So he prays. He cries out, and we have his prayer recorded for us in Jonah chapter 2. So, uh, but, but this isn't a unique prayer to Jonah. It's actually interesting what he does. He's, he doesn't compose his own prayer here. It's actually a pieced together prayer with portions of the Psalms with its own kind of spin on it. It's kind of a remixed prayer, a remixed psalm. So up on the screen here as we go through, I'm going to have Jonah's prayer, and I'm going to read that. But in a blue box next to it, I'll show you, um, I'm going to have the psalm that he's quoting from. And I want you as a congregation for us all to read together the psalm he's quoting from, okay? So I'll read Jonah's prayer over here on the left. Together, we'll all read the psalm that he's quoting from in that blue box. You with me? All right. This is Jonah's prayer. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. Sheol, by the way, is just kind of the realm of the dead. So Jonah himself is placing himself in that situation, the realm of the dead. It's like, I'm already dying, and I cried out to God. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. I've sunk in the deep mud, and there is no footing. I've come into deep water, and a flood sweeps over me. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. 
I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be upon your people. You see what Jonah's doing there? He takes all of these songs he knows, all of these prayers he's heard growing up, all of these psalms of his people that he has memorized deep within him, and he pieces them together to make his own prayer, which is a really cool exercise. I mean, I'd encourage each and every one of you to do that. You know, we studied through the psalms over the summer, and maybe you feel inspired to just write out your own prayer based on the scriptures and based on the psalms you already know. That's what Jonah's doing. And as a standalone prayer, okay, fine, that's good. I like it. What Jonah says here is great. It's good. It's very worshipful, very thankful, all of this stuff. But in context, <laughs> I have a problem with it. In the context of the story, I take issue with what Jonah says here. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think God takes issue with what he says too. And we'll get to that at the end. Because here's the thing. The expectation is that it would be a prayer or a psalm of lament, a psalm of sorrow, a psalm of repentance, like Psalm 51. If you're familiar with the psalm, Psalm 51 is written by David. And it's when he's been called out for his sin with Bathsheba. And the subsequent killing of her husband to cover up that whole affair. When he's called out for that sin, he cries out to God, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I've messed up. You know, purify me, cleanse me. Against you and you alone have I sinned, God. It's, it, it's right there in front of me. I see it now. I see how messed up that was. I'm sorry. It's a prayer of lament a prayer of repentance. That's what we would expect from Jonah. But if you really know Jonah, you actually realize, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> what we see here, the reality of the prayer, is that it's a prayer or a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, which, again, is great. You know, when you find yourself at rock bottom, sometimes all you can do is cry out, Lord, save me, thank you, you're awesome, I fully depend on you, all this stuff. But as Dr. Kevin Youngblood said in, in his exposition, uh, in his commentary on Jonah, he says, while Jonah was readily able to quote beautiful truths from the Psalms, he appears to have not to have grasped their implications. While he can quote it all day long, 
it doesn't really affect his heart. It doesn't really lead to any change. And in fact, when I read through this prayer in Jonah chapter 2, I tend, maybe this is just me, but I tend not to focus so much on what Jonah does say as much as what Jonah doesn't say. What does Jonah not say in this prayer? What do we not read in Jonah chapter 2? from the belly of the fish. There's no apology, first and foremost. He never says, I'm sorry. (laughs) He never says, I'm sorry for running from you. There's no confession. There's no confession of wrongdoing. He doesn't admit to his own failures and his own mess up that led him to this position in the first place. He never confesses, I ran from you, and that was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. None of that. (laughs) There's no repentance. There's no repentance. Yes, he does say that what I have vowed I will fulfill, but those vows in the prayer itself are all about getting back to the temple, He's concerned about getting back to Jerusalem, getting back to the temple, getting back to life as normal. Nothing, point four, about getting back on mission. He doesn't say a word about the people of Nineveh. He doesn't say a word about what God originally called him to and saying, if I get out of here, God, if you save me from this situation, then, yeah, I'm going to go like you told me to. None of that. And no concern for the sailors or anyone else. In fact, did you catch what he says? Those who, uh, let me read it so I don't misquote it. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love, abandon the chesed of God. We talked about that uh, word a few weeks ago. This faithful love, this loyal love that God has. Those who chase after worthless idols. Who does he have in mind? The pagan sailors he was just with. They're each crying out to their own God. He, in this prayer, is degrading the very people that just tried to save his life. He has no idea what happened to them after he went under the the water. He has no idea that they had a complete change of heart. He had no idea that they began making vows and offering sacrifices to his God. He doesn't know that. And so he's in the belly of the fish, degrading the very people who tried to save his life and are actually doing the things he says he's going to do. He says he's going to do it. They're actually doing it. And he has no idea. (laughs) You see why I take issue with Jonah's prayer in context. And the context of the story, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. In fact, I think this just shows insight into Jonah's character even more. This is what I would term a (laughs) non-apology. Maybe you've heard that term. Politicians are great at non-apologies, right? Celebrities, fantastic at non-apologies. A non-apology is a statement that takes the form of an apology, but does not actually constitute an acknowledgement of responsibility, or regret for what has caused offense or upset. This is like 
oh, I'm sorry you were upset by what I said. That's a non-apology. <laughs> this is more, I'm sorry I got caught than it is, I'm sorry for what I did. This, this prayer in, in Jonah 2, it sounds good on the surface. But when you start peeling back the layers and putting it in its context and really understanding what Jonah's actually doing here, honestly, it just kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Because if there's ever been a time for someone to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I was wrong, it's here. None of that. And maybe I'm being too harsh on Jonah. I don't think so, though. But, like I've said, I think the book of Jonah is meant to be not just insight into this one character, but I think it's meant to be a mirror that we look into to tell us something about ourselves. And it makes me wonder, is it possible that by ignoring confession as part of our worship that we are just as self-centered and self-righteous as Jonah? Is it possible that we as Christ followers show up to church on a Sunday morning, week after week, month after month, year after year, putting on the face of, yeah, everything's great. Everything's fine and dandy. We sing the songs, we say the prayers, we go through the classes, we you know, bring meal, we bring a dish to the potluck, we bring candy for the trunk or treat, like we're involved, we're active, and yet we never take the time to self-reflect. We never take the time to say, I really messed up this week, and I need prayers. We might come here and sing these amazing songs about God's love for us and how God rescues us, God saves us, God is faithful to his promises, and yet we don't take the time to self-reflect on how we have been unfaithful to God. And you've got Jonah here, whose name means dove. So you've got this prophet that takes flight. And Jonah, son of Amittai, son of Amittai means son of my faithfulness. So you've got this flighty prophet who's anything but faithful. And he's in the belly of the fish, thanking God for saving him, but that's where it ends. There's no real change. There's no real change of heart. So what can we do? Let's look at the words of Jesus, all right? Let's take our, a moment and do our Jesus and Jonah segment of this, all right? Because there are several stories in the ministry of Jesus that really call back to the story of Jonah, as we've seen already, but here's even more, okay? So he tells this story in Luke chapter 18, the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this is what he says. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone. Does that sound like Jonah to you? It does to me. So imagine him t telling this story to Jonah, all right? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So you've got best of the best and worst of the worst. The Pharisee was standing and praying this about himself, praying about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy unrighteous, adulterers, or even like uh, this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. God, you're so lucky to have me. God, you're so lucky to have me on your side, right? That sounds an awful lot like Jonah's prayer in Jonah 2. That sounds an awful lot like the heart of Jonah's prayer. Jesus goes on, but the tax collector, the worst of the worst, the outcast of society, the, the kind of person nobody wants to associate with, was standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think Jonah is being humbled here because he has exalted himself so much. After all, as we saw in the very opening episode, when we were finding out more about who Jonah is, if you go all the way back to, uh, was it 2 Kings 14? He's the prophet under this king, this evil king, but He was the prophet through whom God presented all this blessing and progress and prosperity to the kingdom of Israel. So yeah, he was kind of feeling big and bad about himself. And even in this moment, when God is trying to humble him, he still has this attitude of pride. Those who chase after worthless idols, those people are turning their backs on your faithful love, God, but I'm going to sacrifice and make vows. He's lifting himself up, even in the midst of God trying to humble him. He's just like this Pharisee that Jesus talked about in Luke 18. And I can't help but think about what Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. If you looked at the story of Jonah so far, just the first two chapters, who would you say really knows God and who would you say is just pretending to? Again, you've got the sailors who had this complete conversion to worshiping, sacrificing, making vows to God. And yet you've got Jonah here crying crying out and praying to God and you still get the feeling he, he has no idea what he's doing. He's just as lost as ever still. And then it also reminds me of Matthew chapter 14. The great story where Peter walks on the water. So the story goes, uh, Jesus was teaching and ministering to huge crowds of people. Well, he sent the crowds away. He put his, said disciples, hey, y'all get in the boats and go across the Sea of Galilee, which is this big lake about seven miles across and I'm going to go pray. Well, a storm arose that night. Storms are bound to kick up on this sea because of its geography. It's a whole other thing, though. And the disciples are struggling. They're struggling just like they were uh, in the first story in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calms the storm. They're struggling just like the sailors in Jonah chapter 1 were struggling against that storm. 
They're fearing for their lives in this chaos, the thunder, the lightning, the spray of the, of the, of the lake water on their face, the wind, the, bo- the boat rocking to and fro, thinking they're going to be flung overboard or the boat's going to be swamped. And here comes this figure just out for a midnight stroll across the lake. And they think what any one of us would think, it's a ghost, right? Good ghost story for this time of year. Um, to which Jesus cries out, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And then Peter, good old Peter, says, hey, if it is you, let me walk on water too. And Jesus says, all right, come on out. And climbing out of the boat, on the screen here, this, this passage, climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Going back to that quote from Tim Keller, Sometimes... It's only when you reach the bottom. It's only when you find yourself sinking that you can cry out and truly mean it, Lord, save me. It's only when you're sinking to the bottom that you realize how much you depend on God and how much you cannot make things happen for yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make something of your life as it is. You are completely reliant on God to come in and save you. If it weren't for him, you would not be here today. Maybe you've had those moments that you can look back on your life. If it weren't for God acting on my behalf, saving me in this moment, I wouldn't be here today. And it's only in those moments, like Peter, crying out, Lord, save me, And he does. Jonah cried out, Lord, save me. And God did. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter (laughs) what you do or how much faith you have. Jesus criticized Peter for having such little faith in his own ability to to keep his eyes on Jesus. Yeah, Peter kind of messed up a little bit, but Jesus saved him anyway. Yes, Jonah messed up, but God saved him anyway. Yes, you and I have messed up. We've failed. We have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says. And yet, God saves us anyway. If we cry out to him, he will act. He will save us. That is one message, one positive thing we can take away from Jonah chapter 2, is that Jonah didn't deserve it at all. In fact, the mercy that God showed is what Tim Keller here in his book calls a severe mercy. It's a severe wake-up call, being swallowed by a fish in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, that's pretty severe. But God's mercy can reach you even at rock bottom. If you cry out to him, he will save. Now, let's have this I am Jonah moment as we wrap up. Because I am Jonah, and, and so are you. Like I said, it's more of a mirror than it is sitting back and watching a TV show. I'm Jonah. Let's have this discussion. Let's, let's be serious for a moment. I am Jonah. I often wait until a time of crisis to cry out to God. This is the first and only time we see, well, not the only, but this is the first time we see Jonah actually crying out to God, actually praying to God. 
Even in chapter 1, when the sailors were like, hey, cry out to your God, maybe he'll save us. Maybe he'll act on our behalf. Maybe we won't perish. Jonah is still silent. Like, he only speaks when they question him. He claims to fear the Lord, and yet this is the first time he actually prays to God. And I can point the finger and say, huh, how ridiculous is that? But then I got to look at myself and say, do I often wait until it's a time of crisis <laughs> to cry out to God? To cry out, Lord, save me? Do I have to wait until I'm sinking? Do I have to? No, but I often do. So let's keep in contact more than just in times of crisis. Number two, I'm Jonah in that I often have an overly inflated view of my own spirituality, which is also very individualistic. Jonah's individualistic spirituality is reflected in this psalm that he, that he prays. It's all I, me, my. In fact, I mean, look at this. Um, like, it, it's all I. It's all I. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you. I will fulfill what I have vowed. It's all me, myself, and I. It's just me and God, right? Nothing about other people. <laughs> nothing about God's people of Israel. Nothing about God's people of Judah. Nothing about the sailors that he just interacted with or the people of Nineveh where he's going to. It's just all about himself. And he has an overly inflated view of his own spirituality. He's just like that Pharisee who prayed to God about himself. Thanks for making me not like other people. I do this and this and this and this for you, God. Aren't you so lucky that, to have me? I mean, this is sometimes reflected even in the songs that we sing. This is not any slight against you know, Tyson and Shannon at all. I was the worship leader back at the church, uh, the Church of Christ, just a couple blocks away from here. And I wrestled with this too. Like so many of our worship songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, so many of the, just the songs that we have to choose from are all about me and God. Think about that old classic hymn, My God and I. Go in the fields together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. Like it's all about me and God. Which yes, there is that vertical component. There is that relationship with God that is utterly critical to our lives. But it's more than that. It's us and God. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it's our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Every verb, every pronoun in the Lord's Prayer is plural. It's us and God, not just me and God. And lastly, I'm just like Jonah and the fact that I sometimes forget that I too am a sinner in need of salvation. Sometimes it's easy, especially for those of us who have been doing this a while, especially those of us who our spiritual journey goes back decades, it's easy for us to forget what life was like beforehand. It's easy for us to forget what life was like before we made that commitment to Jesus, before we went down into the waters of baptism. Some of us were so young when that happened that we have sinned far more since then than we'd ever did before. And we forget <laughs> that we too are sinners in need of salvation. That salvation is a gift. It is a promise, yes, but it's also something that 
is an ongoing process. It's not just a one-time deal. It's not just you are saved, it's you are being saved. And I need to remember that for myself. Because if I forget that, then I can start to look down on other people. Then I can start to judge other people. Then I can start to belittle and degrade other people just like Jonah. And I need to remember that for myself. Again, going back to Dr. Kevin Youngblood, he says, Yahweh's purpose in sending Jonah into the heart of the sea, to the threshold of Sheol, this realm of the dead, was to revive his appreciation for mercy and to convince him that the divine calling, go to Nineveh, is preferable, than, is preferable to divine judgment, that is, death. God allows Jonah to sink to the bottom to have this wake-up call to God's mercy in his own life and then hopefully to extend that mercy to others. But does that happen? We'll find out next week. All right? There's one last verse that we didn't get to in Jonah chapter 2, and this is where we'll end. Because we got to ask the question, did Jonah learn his lesson? Let's have the worship team come back up. Did Jonah learn his lesson? Well, (laughs) the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love that imagery. If there's anything worse than being swallowed by a fish, I imagine it's being vomited by that fish. And if Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2, if God received that the same way I do when I read it, it's no wonder the fish vomited Jonah up. Because I think there's just something a little distasteful about it. And let's not let that be the case for us. To be continued next week in Jonah chapter 3. Hey, thank you so much for your attention. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing one last song and then we'll be dismissed.